Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Maria Cecilia Harder, a distinguished data privacy attorney at the forefront of privacy law and compliance. Maria is the head of regulatory and case management unit of PLDT Inc.'s privacy office. With certifications in CIPM and CIPPE, Maria is an expert in navigating the intricacies of the Data Privacy Act. Currently spearheading regulatory and case management at PLDT Inc.'s privacy office, she also is a champion of digital rights and served as co-chair for IAPP's KnowledgeNet PH chapter. Maria has been a pivotal voice in the privacy community, offering consultancy and speaking engagements through her law office. I've asked Maria to join us here today to share her story and talk about privacy by design, privacy compliance, and the ever-evolving landscape of data privacy. So Maria, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm feeling good. Yeah. I'm excited about talking about data privacy. <laughs> feeling excited. Me too. So before we even get into all this, you've got your own law practice sounds. Is this the family business? Yeah. No, actually, that's already also closed. I opened my law practice sometime in 2017 hmm. when the implementation of the Data Privacy Act started to get into full swing. Uh, my intent then was really to concentrate on offering um, consulting services on data privacy. Um, but soon after that, I was invited to join PLDT Inc. And I said, what's the best way to really learn about data privacy? Go into one right. of those corporations that are doing a lot of data processing in their different right. lines yeah, of P business. For those, that don't know, yeah. for those that don't know, PLDT is like the biggest internet provider in the Philippines. So the Philippines is about 100 million people. And there's some different competitors, but I think by far, PLDT is the industry leader for providing home internet service for people here. Again, if you're not in the Philippines, don't know, this is data privacy with the largest internet provider in a country of 100 million people. They might know a thing or two about what's going on with data right now. So got it. So it wasn't, it's not a family business. So why'd you even decide to get into this? Oh, what was the impetus? Yes. It was really data privacy. So before that, my working experience consisted of, um, I was part of a law firm. So I was doing external counsel work for several corporations. After that, I transferred to in-house work. So I was part of the in-house counsel team of one of the bigger insurance companies in the Philippines. And so I was there until about 2017, but that, as again, I said, that was when the Philippines started to really ramp up the implementation of the Data Privacy Act. And at that point, I was already doing a lot of data privacy in Sun Life, which was my uh, previous employer. Even if there were no data privacy requirements at that time, we were already doing it because the parent companies in Canada, and Canada already had a robust data privacy regime, right? So all subsidiaries all over the world had to follow the requirements from Canada. So at the time, while there was really not a lot of data privacy practice in the Philippines, we were already doing it in sunlight. So hmm. when they started implementing it, I said, since there wasn't a lot, I would like to get into it. Right. One of the first data privacy yeah. professionals in the Philippines. So I quit my job opened my consulting service and ah. I was doing that for about a year. I think that's really smart. And obviously, as we know now, like the world, I, I don't mean to jump into this so fast, but the there's a lot happening right now. There's a lot going on in the world. The pandemic pushed everybody online. There are, I'll get into that later, perhaps. It pushed everybody online. There's central bank digital currencies that are being rolled out. There's mass censorship happening online at this point. Some people would argue that misinformation and censorship online wasn't needed until the truth started getting out. The truth doesn't mind being questioned. There's just a lot of different things happening. Big data is like the new gold. So first, I, I think a lot of people don't even know how much, like why is data valuable? Because for a lot of everyday people, they, they don't know how to make use of it. So can we maybe take this back down to square one? Why does data privacy even matter? Who cares if somebody knows that I shared my cat's photo? I have nothing to hide. Yes. They have this, I there's an idea of the mosaic, right? A mosaic 
if you take a look at the different pieces that comprise that mosaic, it doesn't really give you a, an idea of the big picture. But when you take a step back and start looking at the how these small pieces are put together, then you start seeing the big picture. So that's mm. how... That's also illustri that illustrates how data privacy is important because we give away or share with other entities or other people bits of data about ourselves. And we mm. feel like there's nothing wrong if people know the name of my pet, if people know the street where I live in, etc., etc. People know my mother's name. When you put all of these things together and you take a step back, then you realize that, hey, I might have given away important information about me. Isn't it that we usually use as for identity verification? I Now it's not being done as often, but in the early 2000s, 2010s, it was always the name of your pet, <laughs> the right. street where you lived, your mother's middle name. Those are the things that usually are being asked as an identity verification mechanism. And if you get asked that out of the blue, you would think nothing of sharing that information. Right. right. I think that's really well said. So there's, like you said, you may not have a new concern as an individual, but the things that you share when taken in ways that you don't intend. And I'm going to give some extreme examples. So we talk about Rwanda and the Rwandan genocide. Talk about Germany, Hitler's Germany, and the extortion of the Jews. There was recently something in Myanmar. This is where, if and like, it's, it can be tough for people to understand because most people are good natured, so they don't think like sociopaths, right? Like they just don't think like a psychotic person might think. Or if you're a good person, it's. I, I read this study about squirrels. Forgive me, it's going to make sense, but they did a study on squirrels and squirrels. They like to find nuts and then bury them. They learned in their study that if a squirrel had stolen nuts, another squirrel had buried, if it was burying food and a squirrel saw it, it would finish burying it, leave, and then come back when that squirrel was gone and move the food, meaning it knew it might get robbed, essentially, because it had robbed somebody else. But if it had never robbed someone, even if it got robbed, it wouldn't think other squirrels were capable of it. Yeah. So I'm going to say that again. If a squirrel had never robbed someone else's food stash, even if it got robbed, it would never really worry if someone saw it bearing its food. It'd be like, whatever, that's Joe. Joe's like me. I would never steal food, whatever. And then if the food went missing, if you didn't catch him in the act, but if a squirrel was a rob, like a robbing squirrel, it would know. And, and that's why I'm saying it can be tough for people to understand why like the how sinister some people can be in the world and that's why i use those extreme examples where this is where groups of people that in individuals individuals were harmless but someone just doesn't like you just don't like it was about eye color in hitler's germany if you didn't have blue eyes this is something like how like how silly is that if you don't have a mole on your left cheek if you don't have there's just so this is where you talk about this data on its own may seem benign, but when used in a big group and in an aggregate can be used in nefarious ways, right? People can profit off of it. People you can use it to identify things. And it's 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 it should be for good. What you would hope for is if I developed a cure for diabetes, I should be able to find everyone with diabetes and offer my cure to them. And that's advertise, that's the basis for advertising. And that is like for the betterment of our species. I figured out a, a new invention. It helps people. If people have a problem I can help with, I should be able to identify them and just let them choose, offer them the choice. But again, like you mentioned, you may not realize what's being collected. And like with Facebook, that was such a new thing because people were putting their whole lives on there. I'm single. I just got married. I this, I'm this age. I like this. I don't like that. And that's intense. Did I miss anything? Would you agree with that? Yeah, actually, just to add to your example, like you, you talked about genocide. This is also the reason that the law considers ethnicity, sexual orientation, political affiliation. These are considered sensitive personal information because people's idea of you may change, right? Depending on these characteristics that you have. 
Right. And so the law affords more protection for these things because you can be subjected to discrimination. You can actually even sometimes, depending on where you are, being yourself can be a dangerous thing, right? Yeah. You cannot even admit to your beliefs because this may even be a life or death issue for you. Yeah, I, I, before this call, I did a meet and greet with another gentleman I'm going to interview, and he does faith-based films, but he's been very successful at it and been doing it for 16 years. And he actually had to, like, I, you know what I do, right? Like, I do faith. Are you okay with that? The fact that is even a question. What do you mean? Yeah, I don't care if you're <laughs> yeah. Catholic. I don't care if you're Muslim. I don't care if you're, like, Taoist. It's fine. We're talking about what you've accomplished. So I think what you're mentioning is really important. Another great example, you mentioned Canada. I'm from Canada. The truck driver protest. The government shut down bank accounts for people that either attended or donated to that. This is where governments, I'm going to say this. So I just learned a stat yesterday that the American debt is so big that to pay it off, it will be $250,000 per American. And in Canada, I looked it up and we're around $50,000 per working Canadian. So that means for Canada to pay off all of its debt, every single Canadian, they may not know it. They may not go, oh, I have this credit card debt and I have this mortgage. You also have $50,000 worth of debt that the government has. And this is where we need a government, but we can't let governments, and forgive me, I'm going on a soapbox here, <laughs> but we have to keep the government in control because uh, like, it, it's not... Not a meritocracy, meaning that the government exists because we need a government for certain things. And they'll just go like we history is just they, they never relinquish power. They never really go, you know what? Like income tax in North America <clears throat> was supposed to be just for the war. And then it was supposed to end. And then it didn't end. And so all it's this never ending marching line towards that. And so I think that's where you're talking about privacy is about protecting the individual because <clears throat> we need diversity. When diversity is stability. As we've seen before, if you've got a farm and all you do is grow one crop and then a bug, a parasite comes through, it can kill half the crop, but the most resilient ecosystems have diversity in them. And so we need to protect that. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would you agree with this kind of stuff? This is, I think, part of why the data privacy is there. There's also other countries. That's, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So if, if you look at the definition of data privacy, what really will strike you is the fact, the word control. So data privacy is all about giving individuals control on who can get their personal information, how their information is processed, when and where. And this is, this is the reason that all companies now, when they process personal data, are required to have privacy notices because people are supposed to understand what's being done with their information. So this is also why Consent is a very important concept in data privacy. Although having said that, we should also be mindful of the fact that consent is not the only basis for a company to process your personal data. Mm. So there are other reasons. For example, if you enter into a contract with them, then of course, they have the authority to process your data because otherwise, that contract may not really be implemented. right? And there are right. also other reasons like if they need to follow the mandate of laws, or perhaps if there is an emergency situation, perhaps if an, one example is, let's say you pass out, your neighbor sees you, brings you to the hospital. So the doctors will be asking what happened, who is this person? These are personal data that your neighbor can share, even without asking for your consent. And probably at that point, you would not be able to give your consent, right? So it's also, I think a lot of people sometimes may be frustrated because when we talk about personal data and whether uh, use of personal data is valid, it's always on a case-by-case -case basis because it really just matters the details of how you use it. Think, mm. uh, <clears throat> the application of the law can change depending on what type of data you use and for what reason. So. Sometimes people are end up unsatisfied because when they ask me, I would say it really depends. But yeah, it really depends because the use of data is very contextual. So what are some of the biggest mistakes people are making in general? 
when it comes to data privacy, uh, whether it's in individuals general, or businesses. Yeah. Yeah. For individuals, we are, especially in the Philippines, especially in Asia, I think there is a recognition that the idea of privacy in Asia, especially in the Philippines, is a bit different from the way that Westerners conceive it. This is especially true in the Philippine everyday life, right? We have extended families. A mm. lot of Filipinos live with their extended families. So if there are a lot of people inside one house, the boundaries mm. of what's private and what's not, what's yours, what's some other person's property, it can get really blurry. I think there's also, I have this, I just remembered, I, th- I was talking to um, somebody... Uh, who came for a visit in the Philippines before. And he was from Europe, I think, if I recall correctly. And he was a bit shocked because... So when he arrived, he got introduced to some Filipinos. And as part of small... You've been in the Philippines for some time. And as part of small talk, Filipinos will ask, so where are you going? Who's going with you? What are you doing there? This is something that we don't really think about. We don't feel that it's offensive because it's just really part of small talk here. But then this person was really shocked because he was telling me, I just met this person. And all of a sudden he was asking me, so where are you going? Who are you going with? What are you going to do there? So the idea of privacy can become different. But what's what we, a lot of communities across the world are adjusting to now is that these are already being codified into laws. Even if your community has a bit of uh, difference in how it conceives privacy, for the most part, laws on privacy from different jurisdictions drive. So I think they have the same baselines. And that is really enabling individuals to protect their privacy to enable them to say no if they so choose mm-hmm. to the processing of their personal data. So I think that's also what needs to be clarified. It doesn't mean that nobody can use your personal data. What it just means is that you have a say in the matter. I think that's important because we haven't even talked about that, but identity theft is huge. If somebody knows intimate details about you, they can go sign up for a, a credit card at a bank. You won't even know, extend a line of credit. And as far as the bank knows, you're them and you've answered all the right questions. And now all of a sudden they rank up a credit card and you're responsible for it because that is your legal identity that you are navigating through society with. And they've managed to scam you in that. And so this is again, where for a lot of people, this stuff, it's not on the front forefront of their mind because they just, they would never do this to somebody else. And so I think that's a really important thing. So how do we protect our our data? How do we protect our privacy? So that example that you mentioned, one concrete thing that you can do and what I personally do, if you transact with different companies, a lot of times they will ask for a copy of your ID. They will ask for a photocopy of your ID. For example, if you open an account with a bank, if you sign up for telco service, right? They're going to ask you for a copy of your ID. So what I usually do is on the face of that copy of that, not not on the margins. It's usually, the, right, when they photocopy your ID, it's on a sheet of paper. Not right. on the margins, not on the white space, on the face of the ID. I usually write the date. I also write the company to whom I am giving that ID and the reason. So I know that if, you know, in the future, my ID gets passed around, then hopefully the person who is going to receive it will know enough to take a look at really at the face of the ID and see that, oh, this was given for a different purpose. Because ah. we also have, right? Because we have to take note for a lot of companies, if um, you give a copy of your ID and you have a letter saying that uh, this person is my authorized representative, then they really usually rely on that representation without actually talking to the Right, they, don't, the they ID, won't right? check. Yeah, they won't yes, check. But they will rely on that representation. You have the ID, you have a letter purporting to say that you are the representative of this person. Okay, I'll believe everything you say you can transact in the name of this person. You can open an account. You can buy stuff in the name of this person, etc., etc. You can gain entry to an exclusive place on the say-so of these yep. papers. 
Yes. Right? So so that's why it's very important, I think, for you to, when you give away your ID, just to write that these is details important. on a place where they can easily erase it. Because, yeah. of course, we have yeah. also a lot of technology which we can clean up things, make things disappear, right? So just write there what is the purpose for you giving a copy of the ID, the date, and to whom you gave it. It's not going to be 100% um, it's, it's effective, but right. yeah, it's a big deterrent actually because there are not a lot of people who can also have that capability to clean up stuff. Yeah, I in Canada, I remember I had an issue. I don't know if it was here or when I was in Vietnam, but on the back of my credit cards, where you're supposed to put your signature, I would just write "ask for photo ID" because then they have to have photo ID that matches the name on the credit card, and the picture on the photo ID has to match the right has to match. The credit card, but I figured where I was, someone was like, you can't do that. You have to write your name. And I had an argument with someone. I was like, what do you mean? I have to write my name. My signature's on my photo ID as well. So if you're looking for my signature and that's because on the credit card, there's no photo on that. They started yeah. doing that on some, that's a tip for some, depending where you are. That's a good strategy too. I think that's really important. A great example of how this, how people, again, may not even consider it, keep your receipts I don't know how much of this is a data privacy thing, but there was a gentleman in my neighborhood who actually just, I'm not going to mention the bank, but he just sued a bank, a big bank here in the Philippines, and he won 30 million pesos after the, the local judge had thrown the case out of court. He paid his mortgage payment for a year in cash at the bank and would get a receipt, but the money never actually got deposited. So the bank tried to auction off his house and for non-payment. Yeah. And then and then they tried to say that he hadn't paid. Now, thank goodness he kept all the receipts because now he can prove that he made those deposits. But this is all stuff where, you know, your data trail of who you are, of what you've done. I think it all fits into this uh, story of knowing your data, protecting your data and both ways, not even just protecting your data from getting out, but keeping track of what you have and have not done. If he didn't have that data for those those receipts, because there wasn't a record elsewhere or because that person at the bank he was dealing with was, or the, I don't know if it was one staff member or many, but for him, that was like over a million pesos paying 12 months of the year. And then of course, the threat of losing your home that you've been paying for 10 years. And then where are you and your family going to go? All this sort of stuff. So it just comes a really important thing of not just the privacy and protecting your ID being used, but also validating the things that you are doing, that this is mine. You talk about validating data. Can I, is that an element that you can speak to? Yes. It's also very important for us, right? So in our company, so PLDT, that's where I work. So we are a telecommunications company. So yes, we process a lot of data. And in relation to that as well, so we have a lot of customers. When they come to our stores, they have asked to transact on their accounts. So before we do anything to their account, we ask for an ID, we do identity verification. Identity verification is very important because even if we have all the processes in place, there will still be one or two times mm -hmm. where store personnel, for whatever reason, it may be that they're too busy, it may be that they're distracted. Even if you have a lot of written policies, if, I mean, as your example with the bank, I'm pretty sure it's not bank policy not to right not, not to deposit it, it will yeah. it'll probably be one of the bank staff that we do make an effort to verify the identity and also even to do background checks for store personnel we give them a lot of training but at the end of the day we also really need to rely on the good faith of these people right working right. for us and for a, comp a big company with a very retail business things can also fall through the cracks. Like even right. if we have a lot of policies telling our people to do identity verification this way, sometimes they are not too thorough. So there are still one or two incidents where things are getting transacted without the authorization of the subscriber who really owns that account. And that's also part of my job when our subscribers um, have complaints relating to data privacy or the way that their information was used I'm the one who writes letters mm. in response. So our, our office responds to those things. Yeah, it can get a bit challenging because we do have a lot of customers. 
And of course, when when they have these complaints, we do a lot of not just investigation, but also a lot of talking to the branches so mm-hmm. that we are mm-hmm. able to address all of these complaints, etc. Data privacy is also quite challenging from the point of view of the company that's right. implementing it. The National Privacy Commission, which is the regulatory authority here in the Philippines, is also now moving towards more more implementation and more actually punitive action. I said earlier that the Data Privacy Act in the Philippines started to Im- get implemented in earnest in around 2016-2017. At that time, the National Privacy Commission was really focused on educating. So they were doing roadshows, they were doing training programs for a lot of companies. But now that they see that a lot of companies more or less have an established data privacy practice, now the regulator is moving into more implementation, punitive action where it's warranted by the circumstances. So this is also keeping a lot of companies on their toes because the the, uh, NPC is actually doing what they call privacy sweep. So they don't tell the companies that they're doing it. A lot of times what they do is go to the website, take a look at the published materials and see from those information whether a company is really complying with the Data Privacy Act. So they, they take a look at your published material. And if they see some deficiencies, the NPC writes the companies, gives them a specific time, maybe 30, 60 days, depending on the right. deficiency okay. to correct this. But see, I'm um, all of this is just to say that more punitive action by the regulatory authorities also means that now data privacy is becoming more important, going to the forefront of each company's operations and right. more companies are trying to comply now in earnest. So can you speak to that? We talked about it as an individual, but as a business, what are, is there key pillars, three key pillars, five key points or whatever that like that we need to be aware of the listeners yes. here perhaps. Okay. So if you are a business, you need to take a look at, you know, how your company is using personal data. There are requirements for well, you have mandatory, sorry, the uh, Data Privacy Act. No, it's the, sorry, it's the National Privacy Commission. Okay, in the recent issuance, it's requiring all companies processing personal data to register with the National Privacy Commission. So this registration in their portal has to be done on an annual basis for companies that are processing data as a major part of their operation. So this is important. So if your company is dealing with another company, for instance, if you're getting them for, for example, call center or back office operations, <clears throat> it's very important for, for your company to check whether that company is actually registered with the National Privacy Commission. What does registration mean? Registration means that company has already appointed a data protection officer that company has registered their data processing system. So there is a separate portal that the NPC has put up where each company is required to register their data processing systems. At the very least, this will give you a bit of an assurance that there is mm-hmm. an effort to comply, right? It's right. still a different question whether a company is fully compliant. Just that certification shows you that there's an effort to comply. And between two companies, one registered, one not registered. Of right. course, it's better to go with the company that's registered. So, so that's means, the baseline. That's the baseline. So this, this means things like if where are you storing the company data, right? What kind of contact info are you collecting from people? Where is it stored? How easy is that to be accessed by other people, whether it's with or without permission? Are staff taking important private data at home, like someone's name, is someone's social security number, someone's address, their gender, like you talk about all these things, this can be kept, like, why do you have it? Why are you using it? When is it being drawn upon? It's almost like for police, I, I know police are not allowed to run background check checks on everybody and anybody. They have to say, they have to speak to someone and say, hey, this is the reason I need to check this person's information. And so there's almost like a gatekeeper. It's, hey, what's the password? So anytime that you're managing data of people, why is the reason and what is it? And where is that explained to them? Because you can't just do it. You have to almost understand that everyone coming to your website, everyone coming into your store 
do you have CCTV cameras in the bathrooms? That's not right. There's things like people maybe don't want you seeing them go to the bath. So it's, there's all these things that are under consideration and it's a two-step process. One is because the individual's right to just privacy and, and autonomy. And it's also like a blending understanding that we need to get this data to serve people, but also understanding that as bad as it is, there are nefarious actors out there. And throughout history, these nefarious actors have been able to get away with incredible things that have harmed. And even Bernie Madoff is an example where he ran a Ponzi scheme and scammed investors for a ton of money. And so that's an example of a Ponzi scheme, like a pyramid scheme. But the point is that one bad person that doesn't have balances and checks in their way, like they're not going to stop. And so this is almost where we have to have this ebb and flow. And I think that's where people are concerned about social credit scores and like the WHO is trying to impose basically a global government having like digital IDs right now that's like a world digital passport. Can you speak to this? Is this kind of some of the trending stuff that's coming up that you're aware of? Like, where do you see things going in the next five, 10 years? And what do you think are the most important issues for people to be aware of? Yeah, well, okay. From the data privacy side, when it comes to um, regulatory authorities, we are seeing a lot of countries now adopting um, data privacy regulation. This is also important because there will come a point when you can't do business with another country if you do not have privacy laws in place. That's how uh, data privacy is becoming more and more important. Countries now are enacting data privacy laws for regulators. A lot of them are also starting to be more strict in the implementation. So a lot of, we are seeing a lot of fines being imposed. We're not seeing a lot of jail time still, right? Even Facebook, that big scandal about Cambridge Analytica. Cambridge Analytica. Can we speak to that? No one went to jail Because people don't know about it. Yeah. Yeah. Can we speak? Cambridge Analytica hacked or was exploiting obscene amounts of of data off of Facebook, and they were using it to identify groups of people that could be targeted with campaigns to persuade elections. They would have, for example, they would have an animal rights group and a hunting group. They would both set up Facebook pages for them and have an event on coffee shops across the street from each other. They would knowingly do this kind of stuff to create turmoil and conflict. And this is, again, where people will do this sort of thing. So if there is a riot, if there is a, people have a big fight on the street and somebody gets shot or there's a fire, the values of those property go down. People move away. And if you are an investor, that is an opportunity for you to now buy those property at a discount rate. This is where people are using data in nefarious ways. Cambridge Analytica was using this data to to sway elections. They were doing it exactly like that. They would actually cause conflicting interest groups to be at the same place at the same time in large numbers for rallies. So they would organize like an anti-abortion and a pro-life rally beside each other and make sure a couple thousand people from each group were going to show up. This is the stuff that they were doing and using like their Facebook data for. And like you said, Nobody went to jail for this. And how many lives were interrupted? How many lives? So I think this is really important because personally, and forgive me, I know I've been on a a few rants, but I'm passionate about this and I'm not a lawyer, but I'm passionate on the real world sense that this is affecting my life and the lives of people around me to the sense that throughout history, humans have been quarrels. And what do I mean by that? There's always been wars. There's always been groups of people arguing and fighting over land or whatever with other groups of people. And that would sometimes, and it still does escalate to violence. But now we've created these things called extinction bombs. And these extinction bombs are like the end game of this. Because before it was, hey, my monkey tribe is better than your monkey tribe. And maybe we'll have a gang war in the streets and whatever in the winter to to the winter go the spoils. But now with these extinction bombs, that physical altercation like part of our species is a dead end because we'll just kill everybody. I'll right. So this is how countries were. If you had, again, I'm bringing up Germany, they had blitzkrieg, they had technology and a strategy 
that there was no defense for, no adequate defense for, and allowed them to just expand their empire. And this has just been throughout history. Countries and civilizations have come up. They've expanded the Romans, right? Look at China. You can look at all these other countries. This is like innate. But now that we can't do that in a very obvious way, there are silent, there, there's a great, there's silent weapons. There's quiet wars going on. The Cold War was that the, this intent to protect a culture, a society, a country from others. It's still there, but now it's not bullets in the street. It's things like Cambridge Analytica, right? I have this political belief. We think those political people are bad and wrong, and we're going to manipulate this data and show them ads. And it's psychological warfare in some instances. It's biological warfare. There's been all these labs that have shown up in Ukraine that were apparently Russian before, and then they were, became American. But now Russia is kind of upset that they think America is not doing good things for humanity with them. And whether that's real or not, that's not for me to decide, but it just comes down to protecting ourselves is a little bit different now than just locking our doors and making sure there's a guard in our neighborhood. Because now people are going to use our data against us in certain ways. Your bank accounts have been shut. In Canada, if you donated to the trucker protest, which was a peaceful protest, you donated money, the government shut your bank accounts down. This is such a wild and crazy time. If you are trans, if you're not trans, people might target you and you might face harassment just for living your life when all you're trying to do is work your job, come home, have your hobbies and move on. So this is just, like I say, we're data privacy protection, having a digital shield, like we need physical protection. We also need digital protection now. And can you speak to, you already gave a, a good tip. If you ever have to give a copy of your ID to someone and they take a photocopy right on it, the company, what'd you say? You said right on it, the date, yeah. the company it was given to, and the reason why it was given to them on the ID. So someone can't just take that photocopy, go somewhere else and try and open up a bank account in your name. Yes. What other ways are there for us to protect ourselves in terms of digital privacy and our data? Yeah. I think one important thing that people should remember is it's okay not to give your data and also ask questions. So there is a requirement under the law, most laws. Actually, the United States is also starting to catch up. But mm. in terms of the U.S., we compare it to the other countries. They're a bit behind when it comes to privacy laws because there's still no federal privacy law and a lot of states still do mm. not have a privacy laws. But anyway, for a lot of privacy laws, one of the more basic requirements is for companies that process data to have a privacy notice. So that privacy notice is supposed to say what they're using, what data they're collecting about you, what they're using it for, where are they going to keep it? Are they transferring it to a different company? And for what purpose? Until when are they going to hold on to it? So that's also very important because a lot of times people forget that when you collect information for a specific purpose, once that purpose is done, you're supposed to securely delete that information or give it back to the person you took it from depending on what you said in your privacy notice. But if there is no privacy notice, or if the privacy notice is not something that you can understand, you can ask questions. Mm. The law allows you to do that. A lot of countries, um, their data privacy laws also provide for what they call data subject access rights. These are rights that data subjects have in respect of their personal information. So what are these rights? You have the right to access information about the data a company has about you. One example of this is, I'm sure a lot of you have at one point or another received a phone call from mm -hmm. somebody mm -hmm. saying that... Or text messages, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to offer you a job, a product, service, etc., etc. So you can get the inform contact information of that company. You can write the company. They are supposed to have a data protection officer. You can write that company and ask them, how come you have my data? Who gave it to you? What are you doing with it? Et cetera, et cetera. You also have the right to object. So if you think that a, a company is processing your information without any basis, you did not give authority, to that company to do so, or you cannot think of any reason how come that company has your data, you can write that company as well and object to further processing of your personal data. If you previously gave consent to a company to process your personal data, you can actually also withdraw that consent. 
Another thing, if you if you gave a copy of your of your personal data to one company, right? You can actually also ask them for a copy right. of the data, the data that they data have data about data. you. Yeah. So that's also the reason that you perhaps observe a lot of platforms now also enable you to download all of the data that you have with them. Right. So for instance, if you have a Twitter account, if you have a Facebook account, you can actually go to a certain part of their website and download all of the information. It's because we already have laws where data subjects have the right to a copy of their data. And then finally, also an important part of, of data privacy right of a data subject is what we call the right to be forgotten. Uh, this is also in relation to objecting to a company processing your data. So perhaps if you feel that certain information is no longer relevant, it's no longer true, mm. you can write a company and mm. say, delete my information. And then finally, of course, underpinning all of this is the right to complain, right? So if you feel that you perhaps wrote a company, ask them for any of the foregoing subjects, so the data subject rights that I enumerated, if they ignore you, or unreasonably deny your request, then part of your data subject right also is the right to complain. And in the Philippines, the requirement of the law is for you to first go to the company, give them the opportunity to correct their mistake. Because a lot of times, as I said earlier, things sometimes fall. Yeah, it's a big the company. They're processing yeah, a lot. There's just, a lot happening. It's not nefarious. Yes. It's just yes. A lot of times it's not malicious. It's it's not something that we mean to do. Honest people make honest mistakes. So give us the opportunity to correct ourselves. So that's part of the law. However, if if within 15 days, the company does not respond, then you can already go straight to the National Privacy Commission uh, and file a complaint there. So this is uh, the law in the Philippines. It could be different in other jurisdictions, but I think the bottom line is that all data subjects have the right to complain. Whether you choose to course it to the company directly or whether you choose to go to the regulator and ask for the regulator's assistance. So that's part of your rights. And that is something that perhaps a lot of people should be exercising so that more companies will be more mindful about how they process people's data. Yeah. And I think that's really important. There's, I want to talk about a couple other implications of this. First off, if you have a smartphone, when you download an app, a lot of these apps, you don't realize but they, so this is the thing, if we can, we talk about advertising. If I can solve a problem, if I have, and I don't, maybe I shouldn't even say this because algorithms might think I'm saying something, but if I have found a cure for something, <clears throat> okay, I should be able to, ideally to help the world, to help society, to help our species. I should be able to find everyone that suffers from this ailment. I have found a legitimate cure for but again, we talked about the nefarious uses of this, people using it for their own political gain, their own self-enrichment, right, at the expense of others, and just for nefarious purposes. But if I'm trying to identify someone, sometimes they call this 90-degree 90, 90 marketing. So what I mean is that you look for things because often it can be very competitive. Say I'm, I don't even know, say I'm a hairstylist, and I've got a high, like a high-profile boutique hair salon. And so I'm just trying to advertise, get your haircut, but everyone's advertising, get your haircut. But then if I look at my customer data and I realize that the majority of my customers have two dogs, now 90 degree marketing, I can go to target dog owners. And now that's a way that I can now go advertise my product service without all these other competitors around. And so this is where apps that you download on your phone they want to know other things that you're using and hidden in the terms and conditions of a lot of these apps is the ability to track the other things you are doing when you are not using that app. That's where a lot of people might notice the location setting. Allow this app to track my location only when using this app anytime, never. If you put anytime, you might like part of why your battery might be draining so fast is you might have 10 apps that are wondering, where are you going? What restaurants are you eating at? Where do you spend your days? These are things they want to know because if I'm marketing an app, I want to know where are the majority of my users. But if I only check it once a day when you use my app or once a week, 
when you use my app, I'm missing out on the whole rest of your life. And so this is an important thing, like the apps on your phone, knowing, understanding that this is part of the data privacy. And also a lot of us store stuff in the cloud. What is the cloud? The cloud is just someone else's computer. Before we had clouds, we would have to get our own external hard drive or save everything on our own computers. Now we have everything in the cloud, which is fine, but that means you're storing it on someone else's computer. And recently, I don't know if this passed or not, but in order to child protection, and they always wrap everything with save the children or anti-terrorism. This is where you gotta be careful. I'm, I have kids, I want my kids to be safe. I wanna live in a safe society as well. But you have to be careful because a lot of nefarious things are always wrapped in the wrap of, in the blanket of save the children or anti-stop terrorism. And this is where I think it was like save the children kind of thing where Apple had a thing where uh, they wanted to be able to check all of your content that you've uploaded to Apple if you back up your phone. So basically, I don't know if this went through, maybe you do, but there was a thing where Apple is basically trying to pass an update to their terms and conditions where now they just have the right to scan everything on your phone and you could go to jail for things that they find in your phone data. And that's, this is a huge, and some people might think a huge invasion of privacy, but just understand when you have something on the cloud, you're really just saving it on someone else's computer, which means that they may have access to that legally or illegally people spoiler alert sometimes people break the law <laughs> whether it's by accident or on purpose so i think this is an important thing to consider and you mentioned social media i want to put it out there since we're talking about this there's actually a it's a blockchain technology called noster n-o-s-t-r and so there's another tool called d-a-m-u-s damas and the basic premise of this is the old founder and ceo of twitter Jack, he is gone and knowing that the Facebook has all of this data on you and Twitter and it's, they all have all this data on you, but they own it. We don't. So this whole concept of Noster is basically like blockchain technology where you own your own data and now you could plug into different tools. And for example, using this technology where things are going and there's a battle here because obviously some of these people have interests that they want to protect, right? <clears throat> the source of income. On Facebook, Facebook is free because they sell your data yeah. to advertisers, right? Like you, you are the product. Just remember that you are the, your favorite movies, where you go, checking in here. Hey, I'm on a plane. I'm going to this airport. All that is being used to sell you more products and to analyze how to make other people profits. And so the concept of Noster is that you would own your data and you would plug in and it almost be like an encrypted thing. And basically my, I would own my Facebook profile but I could go and I could join every other platform I wanted and it would auto-populate my profiles with that data in an encrypted way where it would be visible how I wanted to be visible, but I would own that. So if I close my Facebook account, I don't lose all of that because I own that. And this is, I think where we talk about data privacy, just to try and get people an image of where things might be going. It's more of that. It's almost more, almost like a crypto wallet kind of thing. People talk about web three, it's where you own all your data and then you integrate with these different things and they can call and request some of it to use for specific purposes. But like you said, you have a right to be forgotten. Hey, I might connect to one social media platform and now they pull my profile photo and this, but it's only for this purpose to show it to people looking for me. And when I leave, I take it with me and I own it. And I think that ownership I think that might almost get to the core of this, like own more of your data, understand the cloud is giving it to someone else. You have the right, I love that you mentioned the right to be forgotten, the right to withdraw consent. And it sounds like you should request your info, your laptop company, your smartphone company, right? The apps that you're using, what other big sources of data? Like what are the biggest vulnerabilities? Okay. <clears throat> well, in terms of vulnerabilities, I think an important thing that we have to remember is even from the perspective of the individual, if you already, if for instance, if you store your information in the cloud and you don't need that information anymore, you also, as the person who want to protect yourself, need to delete that information. Mm -hmm. One example, take a look at your email inbox. When was the last time you actually deleted information from your email? Oh, See? I don't want to admit that. Because <laughs> just imagine you have passports, probably 
from the early 2000s until now that you are keeping in your email, right? First, different transactions that you have done across the years. But just imagine if your email gets hacked today. Yeah, yeah they can just search everything about you, right? Whereas the other, the other, the alternative is as you get done with your transactions, delete what's there. Because then if, an, if a hacker takes over your account, what's going to be there? Uh, probably next to nothing or just very limited information about you. Yeah. So while we require companies to protect our data, we also as individuals need to be more proactive in how we use our information because we might also be unwittingly making ourselves more, more vulnerable, yeah. unwittingly <clears throat> giving companies or people more information about us that they than they need to know. These are things that we also need to we also need to be doing. Now there are also some things that on the surface may seem innocent, but actually it turns out that we're already also giving more information about us than we realized or initially meant to. One example, most of us use Microsoft Word, right? Do you use spell check? Do you use grammar check? So in order to be able to use those services, that service necessarily has to read the letter Everything. you're writing. Yes. And where does this go? <laughs> this goes right. somewhere. So... We also have to be mindful even of something as totally innocent as like who would think that could be some way for a company to take a look at your data and store it somewhere. Right. But if, if you do not enable spell check, then that program will have no reason to read yep. the thing you're writing. Right. right. And once it reads it, it gets stored somewhere. It's stored I mean, somewhere. That's, that's just how the internet works. Yeah. And again, like you said, you might just be in a doc. Maybe you have a team password doc or something and you're getting spell checked in that. You just even have it on. You're not thinking about it. <clears throat> and especially with AI, this is where now we're entering like unknown territory. Just talk about simple examples, just someone's password. If you have a password and it's numbers only, if you have an 11 character password that's numbers only, AI can crack your password instantly. If you have 14 characters and it's numbers only, it'll only take them 20 minutes for AI to crack it. If you're using lowercase letters, it's the same sort of thing. If you use upper and lowercase letters and numbers, if you have a nine character password, it's nine hours for AI <clears throat> to crack it. If you use numbers and upper and lowercase characters, if you have a nine character password, it's two days. Two days for AI to crack your password. So for everybody right now, you should really be using numbers, upper, lowercase letters, and symbols, and it needs to be at least 10 characters. If you have 10 characters, you have five years. If you have nine characters, you have one week. So if you're using numbers, symbols, uppercase, lowercase letters in your password, and you have nine characters, you have one week. It would take AI one week to crack your password right now. Any advancements, that one week is going to turn into minutes. So that's what I'm saying. For people, just something super simple. You talked about passwords. You need to have at least 10 characters and it needs to have numbers, symbols, upper and lowercase letters. And again, maybe that won't even be enough, right? So you might want to have 12, 13 characters. It's just getting crazy the way the world's at. I, I think some of this conversation, we've also, it's also going to be talking about, we talked about data privacy, like my passwords, what I'm doing, my ID, but I even think that we're entering an era where now money is almost like this as well, where we have all these apps tracking how we spend our money, where, who and where we're spending payments to. And again, a lot of us, it's, it's like, I got nothing to hide. So what? They want to know I have a Netflix subscription, big deal. But in the big picture, being able for nefarious actors to target and to, right, to use that data, you may not even realize it, but you sharing your data could be making some other group vulnerable. And this is, again, it comes down to money. And so what I'm hearing from you, it almost seems just like we put on clothes to go out into the world for the day, or we put on clothes to have this interview. When we get off of this, we might go back to our PJs. Or like me, all I do in this country is sweat. I don't wear shirts at home ever. So I'm more naked. We almost need to have like 
in terms of our data and even our finances, how we plug into the world and show up with the world. But then we also need to have a protected like homestead almost like where, right? Like a safe at home or something like that. Because again, talking about privacy, even as simple, there's been cases people post on social media that they're going away for the weekend and then their house gets broken into. Yeah. How simple is that? Again, this is where you would never think like you're, these are my friends and my family, but who really is watching and listening? Hey, going away this weekend. Bye. And then your house gets broken into. And that's, again, this whole point of privacy is just not acknowledging or recognizing how your data may be used for good or for evil. But what's what makes it complicated in social media is that even if I personally have, I can be more protective of my privacy, but yep. then there are people within my circle who are not, right? right? So even if I don't usually post photos of me, uh, I, I, I post photos, but I don't usually post all of my activities. Right. But imagine if you're friends with somebody who likes doing that, or somebody who's a vlogger, right. you know, who just right. really publishes everything. I think eventually it may even come to a point where you also have to decide who you're going to be friends with, right? right? Depending on the on whether you're on the same um, footing when it comes to privacy, because your privacy is also affected by the privacy practices of the people you live with, of the people you constantly surround yourself with. Yeah, yeah. You, you, it made me think when I was on Palawan, my cell phone, our, we went to the beach and this guy stole our bag on the beach and it had my wallet and two cell phones in there. And I tracked this guy down. I actually was on national Philippines television because the news came and interviewed me. I turned into, I don't even know, but like Columbo. I was like, I need to see CCTV footage. And the guards were like, we don't see anything. And I was like, get out of the way. And I sat down the chair and I found the clip of the guy leaving. I'm like, he's got my bag. And I went on Facebook. I was like, do you know this guy? And I post all these groups and people were like, I think he lives in this button guy. And I was like, I'm gonna go walk down there. And the cops were like, you shouldn't, it's dangerous. And I was like, whatever, I'm six foot four, martial art, MMA fight, whatever. And I found him. I ended up finding this kid and getting my our phones back and my wallet back and everything. It took a week. But one of the things when I was there, they were using a shared phone. Seven kids had were sharing one smartphone to log into all their different accounts. So again, you talk about privacy. Who's stopping one of these kids from just checking out what the other kid's doing, right? Because they were sharing that phone. So that's one. And then there's also another thing of like perverts. There's all sorts of like deep fake videos now, right? That can be made of people. But there's perverts that are using this to create like adult material based off people's photos that they fantasize about as adults, even children. There's been stuff found of children. You post a photo of your kids just at a picnic. And this is, again... There's, we can focus on the good in the world or the bad. That's true. But you can't cover your eyes in a garden and go, there are no weeds. There are no weeds. There are no weeds. That's insanity. You have to acknowledge the world for what it is. You have to appreciate the garden you have. And you have to keep in your mind the garden you want to build and to nurture, to grow. And then you have to fight the weeds relentlessly and pull them out when you find them. You can't ignore that they don't exist or say you're being negative or saying that there are weeds in, in the garden. And that's why I think conversations like this are so important. And this is why I wanted to bring you on. Because I think this is just going to be an ongoing theme in the near future. So now, Celia, I want to respect your time. I know we've gone over a little bit here. If people want to learn more, if they have questions, if they want to ask you your input, what are some of the best ways for them to get in touch with you? Okay, I'm on LinkedIn. So just look for me, Cecilia Soria. I also have a website, ceciliasoria.com. For a lot of people who are more interested in learning about privacy, the National Privacy Commission actually has a pretty good website. The law is there. All their issuances are there. There are also materials that they prepare that would be more focused on ordinary people, right? How they can use the law, the Data Privacy Act, to protect themselves and also to protect their rights if they feel that the rights have been violated. So you can go to privacy.gov.ph. There are also a lot of materials right now being produced online about privacy. You can check those out. Are there a lot of YouTube videos that give you an introduction about data privacy, both globally also as applied here in the Philippines. So do check those out. You can also follow the social media accounts of the National Privacy Commission. They put out a lot of infographics, a lot of memes, Mm -hmm. a lot of videos. These are the things that people like to share. So I think they're also doing that approach. (laughs) So they are able to educate more people. I think as a parting message, just 
for people to be more aware mm. of what they're giving away because these things can be used yeah. against you. For good or for evil. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Even as simple, like, again, I, I put up, I had a martial arts school. And when I started advertising, putting signs up, all of a sudden bylaw officers started sniffing around. There's all sorts of ways that things, you just don't know how people are going to invade that. And so I-, I And corollarily, you also don't know, like, how private a person wants to be. So you also right. need to be careful, right, about sharing information about other people because- what may seem regular or normal mm. to us may seem privacy invasive to them. Mm, 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 mm. But Maria Cecilia here has, has opened up her privacy to you saying you can find her on mm-hmm. LinkedIn if you want to connect. Just look up Maria Cecilia Harder. What's her? If you find the data private privacy attorney who works at PLDT Inc. And you can also check out her website. It's Cecilia Soria, C E. C-I-L-I-A-S-O-R-I-A.com. Maria, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been an honor and a pleasure. I really appreciate you coming and sharing your ideas. And I just thank you so much. Thank you. Had fun.